0: Today's guest on Clever Free Zone is Sam Jay, who we've been really excited about getting on. Uh, They are really young, and yet at the same time, already achieved quite a bit. Um, If you're familiar with Sam Jay's work, it seems to involve bright colors, geometry, it is inspired by childhood, Legos, and yet it also draws on the punk DIY queer scene of New York in the 70s and 80s fashion. It can be 2D, it can be 3D, it can be about gender fluidity, but oftentimes the work goes beyond just what uh, you're literally seeing, and it explores other themes, it plays with sound, Uh, there's a collaborative aspect in who Sam J works with for the music, but it's clearly the vision of someone who's young with a very mature voice already. So Sam J, thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. That was a pretty good like, um, explanation of my work. I don't know if I would have been able to explain it as concisely.
0: Well, I mean, to be honest, uh, I think anyone who comes across your stuff will initially have a hard time knowing, you know, is Sam J this, is Sam J that. So, you know, and we'll get to it. Um, but, you know, you've done this amazing NFT first magazine, um, which none other than Pac, um, who I think... If you're into nfts you know pack who is whoever pack really is has a, a clear vision uh and certainly has a way of doing things that are very clean pack really liked it and i think that says a lot um because representing magazines online i think is very difficult to do elegantly and you did that and at the same time you know you it seems to me you've just done if not the first one of the most prominent first examples of an nft film as of today when we're recording um yeah
1: i think it's the first like live action short film i i uh I asked on Twitter if anybody had done one and most of the answers were maybe like 3d animated shorts or 2d animated shorts, but I hadn't seen any live action pieces yet. So I definitely one of the first, if not the first, at least on super rare, for sure.
0: I mean, you know, as much as I do want to work back and I have so many questions to ask you, I think selfishly I've spent a while watching your film sort of on a loop. I just showed it to my partner and, you know, I felt the more I watched it, the more I was able to unpick it. Um, I do have, so I'll explain to anyone who watches it and I'll let you, I guess, give an overview. But it's basically about self-sabotage identity um, and and it's figurative. It's, there's a, there's a poem for sort of the narration of it. And, and I noticed a few things. I mean, why don't you tell us a bit sort of how you'd explain it? And then maybe I could ask a few questions and then we can kind of work back about, you know, where Sam J comes from, but let's dive into that. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me, Um, it's really about my relationship with my boyfriend, and it's sort of a form of, like, a love letter about the relationship to the relationship. So it's not, like, from me to him or anything, it's very abstracted, and it kind of starts off with the beginning of a relationship when you're, you know, super excited, and you're falling in love with someone, and they are, like, taking... You know you're giving them all of your energy and they're giving you all their energy, and it's so exciting, and you're like really discovering a new part of your life. It's like really an easy way to define a new era of your own personality. And then, but as it develops and you spend more time with this person and you grow closer and closer, it there is like a tipping point where you're like, Well, now I have all of this of this person to lose. Like, what if I lose it all? <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and then there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that and like um, I've only ever had one relationship with my boyfriend so that he like was the first person I went on a date with and so there was a lot of like self-discovery to be had of like is this you know is this what a normal relationship is like like I really had no benchmarks to no idea like I had I could I was just kind of like guessing like is this a red flag is this a green flag should I be worried about this or whatever and um, so then this the the poem then kind of brings in this second character that talks about like this sort of suffocating anxiety about like what if everything falls apart what if it all crashes and now you've lost this entire other part of your life um but then in the end like it kind of wraps together and the idea that like a relationship is two people and even if like I'm nervous like if it's gonna fall apart or something like that like my boyfriend still is you know in love with me and he is willing to like put in the effort and make it work so i should just take that at the you know value that it is and like just because i'm a little bit nervous doesn't mean that everything's gonna crumble and it does uh like you vulnerable to, to be able to have like that sort of love in your life so it's a really like deep uh concept i think but i wanted to present it with these like characters and um i wanted to sort of drive a narrative because most of my pieces are more like experiments within aestheticism
0: actually i think that phrase nails it experiments within aestheticism because okay so we'll start with this piece one thing i notice is you do a lot of framing by which i mean so you're using this sort of um it's the word I want here, but not quite frilly, but it, it, you're using like these very elaborate sort of like silent film, era frames, black frames on the outside often. Mm-hmm. And then on the, the faces that you're using, which are your face, um, but represented is like highly, basically it's like beautiful women wearing just over the top ornate sort of jewelry. And at one point you framed your face with pearls. Um, and there's another piece you do, and I'm trying to remember the exact name, but you do I can't remember the exact one. Is it the creation of portraiture, maybe? Um, Yeah, as well. Where you, again, you're framing very carefully uh, what's going on inside the camera work while you're applying makeup. Is this something, I mean, first of all, one thing I said to everyone on Clever Free, it's so named for a reason. I'm open to the possibility, and I often think artists just do things because that's the way they like to do it. And I don't think it has to have a profound meaning. But I'm curious to know, frames well why do you seem to always come back and pay attention to them and the work i see
1: um well i so the creation of a portraiture was the first time i put a di- like a, a, a frame within the video file itself because starting in 2021 i started offering video displays with every piece that i release on super rare so i wanted to not just throw out my videos and put them in a display like that seemed a bit lazy so i wanted to figure out a way to really like acknowledge the fact that these will be going into frames and be presented in real life and I wanted to kind of play on that idea and bring the frame then into the video itself and I thought it was kind of ironic because a lot of the frames that I use are from or all of the frames I use are from infinite objects and they're like very modern chic like acrylic clear and white so I wanted to with the digital frames Kind of go the opposite and make them a bit more ornate, make them a bit more frilly, kind of r- reference more, you know, um, like renaissance style, like gold leaf covered frames to contrast then the, you know, kind of colder, modern acrylic frames while also still like acknowledging that this is going to be framed in the physical world at some point. Um, and also, I studied graphic design, and I wanted a way to bring back that just like little touch of design elements into my pieces as well and I thought that by you know designing these really really dynamic frames like some of them are animated some of them like the creation of a portraiture has like five different frames in it compared to um who what which I just released yesterday that only has one so there is a lot of intention behind it or at least why I started it sometimes I do just like you know i don't want to put too much thought into it and it is like sort of the final touch on all my projects is i'll just open up illustrator and kind of be like what mood do i want to put on this frame for the like these shots or whatever but it definitely was intentional like it wasn't just like i'm gonna put a frame on it because i think it's cool like the main intention was to like reference back to the video displays and kind of play with that idea for sure
0: so then i feel i feel safe and to ask you if something else was um particular the volume early on and who what just goes up a bit is that just a cork of production or is there was that a thought as well
1: how do you mean like which part because it does get louder like yeah it's something and... gets
0: louder in a way that is noticeable i didn't notice it at first and then i i noticed it when i was replaying it again and i i mean look you know maybe that was just the way it was it came out in production but i was wondering if you wanted to accentuate something draw our attention to something if that was intentional
1: yeah so about like halfway through the turning point, there's like this big explosion and there's like the ears ringing and the heart beating and there's the chandelier falling from the, you know, and like shattering. And just it was kind of in a way just to balance out all those sound effects with the voiceover. It did have to get a little bit louder, but it also does kind of play with like, you know, the piece kind of starts with, it started with like me being single basically before I had met my boyfriend or had a relationship. And I was like, just kind of like not even aware of this entire event, <clears throat> this entire event that was going to like completely change my life. And so then throughout the piece, I do kind of like grow, it is about growth. So both, you know, there's a million ways that you can um, like reference that without you know, both with like maybe volume or aesthetics or the makeup or the lighting or the, you know, sound design. So there was just a lot of different pieces that I was trying to, you know, bring together and uh, have separate references and stuff.
0: And then last question on this uh, is there's a, a comma at one point in the actual, because you do subtitles and there's a comma that's conspicuously on its own. Is that just coincidence or was there, what was there thinking there? Because I know it's a poem as well.
1: Yeah, um, well, I've always really liked the, like, a little bit of, like, wordplay, but also when you write things on a page. Like, I always liked how you can design text and words. And so, in some ways, it was just for aesthetics because oftentimes when you see subtitles, it's, like, very utility-based. It's for the accessibility of being able to understand what's going on. And I thought that kind of taking that style of poetry where people use characters and, you know, um, grammatical, I don't know, like periods and commas and stuff for aesthetics and bringing that into subtitles where it's kind of the opposite and it has to be exactly how you hear it. Um, So it was, it was just for aesthetics, but in the same way it was to like subvert the expectations of the viewer because up until that point it had been just normal subtitles so i kind of wanted it just to be a little bit more like have that unique ending and like a little bit of a twist
0: well i um i mean I, at first it's great for be able to ask you about these things and for them to be things you thought through because you know obviously i don't want to i hate putting an artist in the position of, of making them feel like they have to explain or justify something you know that is just the way it is but it's great because your work i was saying this i was saying this actually to to my wife i was saying the more i look at different artists stuff the more i feel i can tell the difference between when something really is going on in the work and when there's probably not as much and and i look at your work <laughs> i didn't totally know at first what i thought or what it meant but i knew there was something there and and that's that's a great thing and for me for what i you know and we'll move on after this but i actually found it the idea of self-sabotage for me was the clue and i felt it actually was to do with the com the relationship with the self and dualities and i think a lot of times, interesting artwork can tease out from us like an ink blot something that's true about ourselves, and I think your work can do that. Anyway, I, I do I am mindful uh, about kind of like getting to know you a bit because I think there's still questions to, to be understood. You were telling me uh, at the start before we started recording that you're originally from California. Can I ask just a bit about your your autobiography, kind of how you grew up and you know bringing yourself all the way up to university, maybe before Amsterdam where you are now.
1: Yeah, so I was born in California in San Diego. Um, That's where my parents lived for like 20 years together. And um, when I was seven, we ended up actually moving to Belgium because my dad was in the Navy. And then, um, yeah, and then when my dad was retiring out of the Navy, we moved back from Belgium and ended up in like the DC area, so in Virginia. And that's pretty much where I spent like middle school and high school. And then I went to JMU or James Madison university and I studied graphic design in the art school. So I got like a BFA and um, I really didn't like it there, but I went because I would be able to not have to get any student loans and it would be something that would be like kind of easy. It wouldn't be too stressful. I always like, I never really understood why you'd go to college to be more stressed out, especially as an artist. Like it didn't didn't make any sense to me. But um, I uh, halfway through, I studied in Amsterdam for a summer, and that's when I met my boyfriend. And I ended up, you know, living here pretty much. And like it was interesting because at that moment, I was only supposed to be in Amsterdam for the study abroad for like the month of June, and then I had an internship in New York after that but I had to email my internship and be like, Hey, sorry, I'm not coming anymore. Like, <laughs> sorry, I was supposed to be in the office like next week, but I'm going to be in Amsterdam. I have a different internship here. Um, so it was definitely like a complete 180 from what I was expecting to do, but it really worked out. Like I felt a lot more comfortable here, partially because I was already used to living in Europe, like Belgium and Amsterdam are really, really similar cultures. So it's it wasn't it it felt like kind of nostalgic, kind of like if I had almost like maybe moved to L.A., it would have been the same feeling um, of being back in like California where I spent some of my childhood as well. So in that sense, I felt very, very comfortable just like within a month deciding like, fuck it, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to live with my boyfriend like we're we're doing it. And also my parents were really supportive as well because they've been to Amsterdam a few times that, you know, they lived in Europe with like with me. And they really didn't want me to go to New York either. So they're like, if you're going to stay in Amsterdam, like they much, they thought it was much cooler to have an experience in Europe than in New York. And like my dad spent some time in Spain when he was in college. And uh, also my sister spent a year in Spain when she was in college. So um, it was just kind of something that my parents were really on board with, which definitely helped made the decision a lot easier. And then when I went back for my junior year at university, I just took as many courses as I could to graduate early. I was maybe thinking about like doing an exchange program or something and like trying to spend some time at like a school here in the Netherlands. But I figured like, I don't know, JMU is not that difficult of a school. So I just took extra courses. I got um another internship in Amsterdam the following summer, which counted as a course. And I was able to graduate a semester early And that was in December of 2019. And so I moved here on New Year's Eve. So right before 2020 and right before COVID. And um, I was freelancing after graduating. So I already knew like I didn't want a full-time job. So I just jumped right into freelancing. And um, I was doing motion design at the time. So I was pretty fluent with After Effects. And um, motion design is definitely a more lucrative position than just traditional graphic design. So I was freelancing a little bit, but then once COVID hit, it was like pretty much impossible. (laughs) I was like a recent college grad to just try to freelance. So I had a few um a few like freelance gigs from social media. And actually coincidentally, I was sort of buying and selling Bitcoin all throughout my time in university. And so I had to sell all my Bitcoin and like hold uh, use that to help like pay for my bills while I was trying to start freelancing and stuff like that. And then right about when I was running out of money and like realizing like, damn, this freelance shit is not happening. Um, <laughs> I was starting to look at, I was starting to look at galleries and stuff in the area. Cause there's a ton of art galleries here. And um, I started to see like, what are my possibilities? Like I was looking at maybe modeling agencies or something just like, really I was just looking into different avenues and um, over this that summer of 2020 I applied to super rare just because I saw it on my timeline and I had no idea what it was but I thought it was cool and I actually got denied but then I saw more of my friends like really making good money on it and I was like well I'm you know really trying to look for this a new, like something new to, to bring in some money because you know I, I can't do things not working. So I applied again at the like middle of September, and I had I had no time to wait, so I just started minting on Rarible, and um, like within a stroke of luck, my first piece sold within like two days for you know like two hundred bucks, and I was like, that's a sign, like this is it, <laughs> and so like from the like right, and like started doing this full time, um, and at that point, I already had my art studio. I already had, um, you know, I had been pretty much doing freelance full time as well. So I had the time, I had the space and discovering like NFTs and the possibilities like really opened my eyes. And I was like, I can do anything. Like there's nothing holding me back. There's nothing boxing me in. I don't have to like wait for people to give me a you know gig or something like that. I don't have to scour discord or Reddit for a job opportunity. Like I can just make the cool shit that I want to make and I can put it up for a couple hundred bucks and like that's what's up like so I think being in like such a sort of in a way do or die situation like that really helped me just jump into it and recognize the potential and like it was just really being in the right space at the right time and so after about a month and a half of being active on Rareball and OpenSea I got the attention of um other platforms like Known Origin and Super Rare, and I was able to gain access to the more curated platforms. So I've been on Super Rare since November, and I've pretty much been focusing all of my work on Super Rare. Because definitely on Super Rare, I felt like I had a lot more freedom to create the really, really weird, like, you know. I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like a lot of my art on Super Rare would have flopped on other platforms because they are very like just weird in a way and like kind of like I don't consider them performance art but I think a good analogy is performance art like if you see somebody doing performance art in the middle of Times Square you're like okay that's just kind of weird but whatever it's Times Square but if you see somebody doing it in the MoMA it's like oh this is a you know trained artist they know what they're doing everything they're doing and they're showing in this performance like is intentional and has a reason. Mm -hmm. And so I think super rare just provided me with that context of like, Oh, Sam J's work is on super rare. So this is art. Like I didn't have to defend it. And people would see that it's on super rare and automatically like get it at least at that very surface level, which really helped me expand my artistic practice.
0: So, you know, you're not, you're not alone in that sentiment. Like the prestige of super rare is a, is a frame. Uh, that is actually a kind of a, a license to to young creatives to to trust themselves, and that's a really valuable thing in terms of a brand. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious uh, if I can go back to to something you touched on. You clearly are very close to your parents. Uh, I, I even when I was looking through like your Instagram, I saw um, you know you really esteem your dad, and like I get the impression you just love your family. Can I ask, as a Navy brat from San Diego to Virginia, if I may ask about your identity? Was it in any way a bit tricky for you, do you think, being non-binary or anything uh, in terms of having, you know, because I've, I've known many people in the Navy um, and I just you seem to really esteem your parents. And yet, you know, to be a Navy brat, I imagine being an artist and all those things. It's not it's not like you would have said, oh, yeah, son of a Navy guy becomes a successful artist. So, I'm just <laughs> yeah,
1: um, well, I think m- maybe my dad is a bit of a. I think he's probably like a black sheep within the Navy itself similarly to how I'm the black sheep in our family, because none of his family is in the military. He just joined, like he went to the Naval Academy because his best friend wanted to join the military. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like free call. And so he, you know, had a good time in the Navy and enjoyed the, you know, community and the the culture and all of that. And he was a pilot as well. So it he really wasn't like some like really macho Marine kind of guy. He was really go with the flow. Like he taught me how to surf. like living in California. It's a lot different than, yeah, you know, maybe being in the military in DC. And I think also because we moved and like, we lived in Europe and we've as a family experienced so many different cultures together. Like I really was comfortable with my family and like who I was and, I was really presenting myself just, like, no as myself, no matter what, with or without labels, and I actually came out to my family as gay when I was, like, 14, and by the time I left to college, like, I started identifying as non-binary when I was, like, maybe 19 or 20, and that's not necessarily something I've, like, a conversation about, because I don't think it's necessarily important, especially because I don't really live with them anymore, but, like, it's in my bio on instagram like it's not a secret and i think like and my also my parents like see the work i make it's it's nice to have a supportive family like i was just in some uh twitter dm about how my family also started buying bitcoin when it was in like 2016 and like they have their ledger set up and so it's cool (laughs) that my parents like understand what nfts are in a way, like, so when I told them like, yeah, I make my art and it like goes on the blockchain so people can buy it. And like, they understand what that means. Um, Maybe not to the like depths of what really an NFT is but they get it and they understand it. And so I remember I went home for Thanksgiving and that was like right after I posted my first piece on super rare. And I was like, yeah, like I have this piece and it's like for sale. And there's a bit of like $2,000 on it. And my dad was definitely like, that's really like so cool um and I think it's just I definitely have a respect for my parents because they equally have a mutual respect for me and like what I do and they see what I do is very valid as well um and I think it's a little bit it, it's easy for them to see that because I've been doing graphic design or art related stuff since I was like really in like my teen years like 14 15 and like i went to school for graphic design and i think like once they saw my work from like art school like this is you know something that i care about and um they they've just been very supportive in that way so it it's been been lucky for sure very lucky
0: well it comes through i mean sometimes when you you talk to a person you can tell that that person is well loved and I, i i you know i don't mean to presume but i get that vibe from you um, I think I was going to ask you then, because you're talking about how you were doing, you know, graphic design from a young age. So uh, I, a YouTube channel called, is, is that the original Sam J Studios?
1: Relax, relax. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not bringing that up. I was just thinking the other day. I was like, <laughs> damn, I'm glad I've had. So I've had at Sam J Studios on Twitter, like this separate account for like eight and a half years. And as far as I'm concerned, nothing happened before that
0: okay all right i mean okay so i mean i i can't see your face so i i can't tell if you're smiling or you don't you don't want to talk about it i am uh can i just ask um and let me know if you if you want this whole thing just left out but you had us there were two videos i saw that were like of um call of duty i think or modern warfare 3. and i just wanted to know Mm -hmm. were you were you also a bit of a gamer at any point
1: oh yeah i'm still a gamer for sure so like i do want to say i don't want the name of that previous alias No problem. Like, if we can bleep that out. But I I don't mind talking about it. So I definitely was, like, really big into video games. And I think that I didn't get into graphic design for video games, like, you know, to join, like, the gaming community or anything like that. But I remember, like, watching Photoshop tutorials and stuff like that on YouTube and then also being involved as a, you know playing Call of Duty and stuff like that, I was excited to combine the two. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely was somewhat involved in the community when starting out, like, for maybe, like, two years or so. But like I said, I've had, you know, at Sam J Studios going on since I was, like, maybe 15. Mm-hmm. And um, so pretty quickly I realized, like, ooh, this is weird. I'm going to switch to something more professional. And, yeah, I mean, I was also – I had a – I had some – full-time graphic design internships like even in high school so it was definitely something that I did have to be professional about like very quickly
0: well I mean what what came through when I was looking through that your earliest work was, I thought like wow this guy is doing like legit um like graphic design work it, from what I could tell and and and, I, and my impression was that you know I was like wow and you know they were really young when they were doing this and I was super impressed by it um it, it just it just made me think like <clears throat> You were, you were always going to be able to make a living out of your talent um, because you were clearly serious about it uh, at a point when I think, you know, had I been in your shoes, I probably would have been more inclined to just play video games. Um, so it was really impressive to, to, to see that where you've come from. Um, could I actually, I mean, on that note, I, one of the things that I know you're into is music. And um, I guess you were a big fan of Sophie, who at the time of recording um, died tragically. Um, and, and you referenced Sophie's work in, in face shopping, which, by the way, I think not only is a amazing title for the song by Sophie, which I'd encourage anyone to listen to, but is also a great um, source of inspiration for, for the artwork you did. Could you maybe talk about that?
1: Yeah, um, I discovered Sophie with one of their first EPs with like Lemonade and Hard and like that series of I don't know. There were just album covers of like slides and random just like shit. On Mm. yeah, it was like, and it definitely sort of exposed me to this new world of like online queerness. Mm. Um, and I was really just excited to have like found this little like you know this new artist that I could just keep to myself my Spotify and like I remember listening to this crazy you know like instrumental track like on the way to one of my courses at like 8 a.m in the morning just like so absurd and that's something that definitely like I don't know I love the absurdity of it in a way like and I don't think I realized the impact that Sophie's music had on not just my life but like the entirety of queer culture, like, every queer person I know, until, you know, she passed away, and um, I was already working on a project with this mask, and I wasn't sure really, like, how I wanted to present it yet. I was just, like, working on this physical project, and I just thought that it would be a really good way to pay homage and, like, pay respects, and I thought it would fit both aesthetically and like it would it would work well with the project as well as just like be a great way to represent my queerness mm-hmm. and also like just pay homage and while I was shooting that I actually like gave myself a tattoo of one of Sophie's album covers as well but it was yeah it was just like like it was a good it was a good project for for me to just like really pay tribute and it was definitely one of the first projects that I felt like really like properly represented my own personal identity even though the character within that piece is like not me at all
0: well it kind of reminded me because when I was seen, I mean I, I was obviously familiar with Sophie from just before and then I you know but I found actually out about uh Sophie's death through uh researching your stuff and I was like oh man um, what a loss. And then it got me back into to listening to some of it. And then I saw so else you drew into, and you were into, uh, this female rapper called big clit, who then I listened to, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And it, it kind of reminded me that there is this whole, or rather it showed me that while I've just been, you know, doing life, there's been this huge, robust queer, like music scene. And like, I think the only, like the furthest I've gone into, like notably c- consciously, you know, queer rap music anyway is leaf. I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff, but I saw him play a fairly small venue in London like a few years ago. And I just, he sort of is like a continuation of Missy Elliott, I think. And I just thought it was the coolest, like sort of, it was like visionary um, and at the same time, totally accessible rap. And it just reminded me of what I like about a lot of like Afrofuturism generally is that it's just so boundary pushing, but all of that's to say um i always like to ask people who have, who have taste and might know things i don't who else in music would you say we should check out or do you find really inspiring because i think you obviously are into some cool stuff
1: um i think it's really funny that you bring up big clit because i don't know like she's such a fucking character and um but yeah so definitely like obviously there's kind of the, the mainstream girls like doja cat Rico Nasty, Megan Thee Stallion mm-hmm. and like they're all icons. Definitely like Rico Nasty is my favorite out of those, that group of people. Also Tierra Whack is really, really great. Mm-hmm. Tierra Whack is definitely like the most, I would say like artistic out of them all, like definitely has the most unique vision. Um, but out a more like surface level, I saw recently on TikTok, somebody created like an alignment grid for hyperpop, which is like the queer genre of music. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was people like, uh, that kid, um, Charlie XCX, Sophie, obviously, um, who else is in there? Arca, hundred gex, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people say that my stuff looks like Arca, uh, which I think is a compliment, but it's definitely like just a mishmash of like weirdness, like kind of Bjork and Rick Owens and just like everything that's like kind of, I mean, distorts the human body in a way.
0: <clears throat> I don't actually know. Art, but I knew. I lose, I'd say most of the other artists you just named and Bjork obviously is the most famous by far, sort of like a, a one man Radiohead, And I would definitely say that I think your work has that sort of, what's what be the word. It's like, it's like vivid and it, it sort of in, in like subtle intuitive ways feels confusing at points, but it is also totally, uh, internally consistent and integrated so it's there's no like loose ends in anything you do it all seems very clearly worked through and, and in that sense it, it almost has these disconcerting moments to it um which i think is really a testament as, as my earlier question when we started talking is a testament to the thoroughness and the and the deliberateness of what you do um which goes back to that point i was making you know to my wife which is i sometimes that like, you i can look at artists and, and tell when those like something inside and i feel like your work really has that i'm sorry by the way you're still there okay cool i just yeah you're cutting out okay cool
1: no i i definitely appreciate that i think um definitely like having no loose ends is important to me like if i'm gonna put something into a project or if i'm gonna make you know put effort into making something like it will be intentional you know whether that be like if I'm putting chains in my hair, I want a way to also incorporate that into my face. And like, if I'm, you know, in my latest piece, I had two separate characters and I knew one would have pearls framing the face and pearls are very like starkly contrasted to your face. It's very like jarring in a way. And so I, and I knew that if I put in the other piece, like, you know, having chains on my face would be like the chains were a lot more subtle, a lot more, um, understated so i then you know had to 3d print some extra props to then accent the chains and then kind of balance the playing field with the pearls and like everything is definitely very thought out for sure like that's important to me
0: i didn't know that you were actually 3d printing i wondered because your septum um clip on septum piercing i was like you know where did they get that from and and i was reading that you were auctioning it off and i and i Mm wonder i I wonder if they 3d printed it so so you are using 3D printing as well to make some of these pieces.
1: Yeah, so the the mask piece from Face Shop is 3D printed and the hand ring in Evening Theory, the silver hand thing, that's also 3D printed. And then the like sort of facial prosthetics from the black wig look in my latest piece is also 3D printed. So I actually make like... Wow. Genuinely everything in all of my pieces. So, in in my latest piece, like, I did all the sound design, I did, I, I styled both the wigs, I decorated the wigs, I made all the jewelry, like, I made the earrings, and I made the facial prosthetics, I made the costumes, I made the 3D animations and the 3D backgrounds and the renders, I did, like, my own voiceover, I wrote my own poem, like, everything I do is, like, almost always something that I make, unless it's music, then I will commission a friend of mine and I, like, direct them and kind of act as, like, a creative director in that sense to get them to make exactly what I need just because that's not a skill set that I have or really at the moment care to, like, invest
0: in learning. So I never ask anyone this, but I have to know, because what is, it? What is like, a nine-to-five day like for you? Uh, As somebody who I presume is just making a living off of art, and is doing everything with such detail because you have a really good picture on your Twitter right now, which shows the making of who what. And you know when you have that like the wider panorama shot, you know I'm like wow, this is exactly the amount of intense work like like uh, cans with like different um, materials and then like you just sort of green screen. You're like naked. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a full on thing. Um, and so I just wanted to know, I mean, what does a normal day look like for you if you could even answer what a normal day is?
1: Um, so it's definitely not nine to five. It's more like maybe like 2pm to like 3am. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. It's really difficult because uh, it depends. So right now in the Netherlands, we have a curfew at nine. So um, mm-hmm. usually I like wake up around like 11 or noon ish, and then I'll get try to get to my studio. So I, I do have a space like um, outside of my house that is like an art art, art studio. And uh, so I try to get there by like two and then I'll work there until, you know, I have to go home for curfew. But it depends really what type of project I'm working on. Um, so for Who What, a lot of it was, like I would go to my studio to style the hair because I don't want to like ruin my house with the fumes of four mm-hmm. cans of hairspray. Mm-hmm. And then also like, you know, I have all the supplies for, the like I have all the wig supplies there already and like to add all the jewels and everything and like sew the wigs together. Um That's all at my studio and So if I have to make anything physical like that's where my 3d printer is that's where all my paints are where my spray paints are where my sewing machine is but if I'm like all the editing I do or like The 3d work a lot of the times that's just done at my house or at my apartment so I don't really know. I don't really have a nine to five. Like it's, it's really changes day to day, depending on what projects I'm working on. Like, well, I think it's hard to say,
0: I mean, to be honest, I think, I think that's a a good answer then, because I think where the question comes from is the realization that as an artist, you put a huge amount of time and effort into this one piece, which you have no guarantee will sell. And then you have to, stick a price on that makes it worth your time which was potentially just speculative and it's like how do you cost that out and i think at the same time you have enormous freedom but as anyone who's ever been self-employed even as a freelancer can attest you know i think the freedom has an ambiguity that's actually scary because it's like a yawning chasm that might issue a promise of like loads of money but also might just eat you up and i i think that your earlier story about how you came to crypto art kind of highlights that so i was curious can i ask so are you gonna say something?
1: oh, yeah, I was just gonna say like that was definitely something that I was struggling with at the beginning of crypto art, but recently, within February, like all of my pieces sold out, and so going into the project of like who what, I already have you know enough money to pay my bills for the next few months, and like I'm not worried about whether or not it's gonna sell like so it's for me at this point and probably yeah really like i think this is more important than even like you know the money in your bank account but pricing your work has more to do with your reputation than it does with your bank
0: Hmm. i mean could you actually you know go down further on that if you don't mind i mean explain further what you mean by that is in creating a reputation or is in respecting your reputation or or what your reputation is dictates what you can price explore that a little bit more
1: well, it's kind of like I mean you can't you have to look at all of your past pieces that have sold. And let's say like so my I had um two pretty similarly styled projects in November and December on Super Rare. And then I had and then going into the new year, like I hadn't sold them yet. And I was like, Well, I should probably scale back a little bit and do some projects that I can get out quicker for cheaper so then I can you know make some money again Mm -hmm. because you can't jump too far ahead of yourself so I unfortunately actually had to I had a period of a few months where I wasn't making any sales on super rare because when I got onto super rare I was so excited to make all of these like really large projects but then I didn't have the audience that was willing to put down like five Ethereum, 10 Ethereum Mm -hmm. that I wanted for these projects. So you kind of have to be aware of your place within the market and be like, okay, well, I know I can get at least one Ethereum for my projects. So what projects can I think of that will sell for one or 1.5 or two that I can slowly work my way up into these kind of next levels. Mm -hmm. And so, going into, you know, 2021, I was like, all right, well, I just did two really big projects that I want to sell for at least like a couple grand and, but I need to make money, like I'm, you know, running out of money again, I, I'm going to work on some smaller projects and like figure out a way to incentivize my work again and get regain that momentum. So then that's when I started doing the project. And that's not to say that they're like worse. It's just the scope of the vision is smaller. Mm-hmm. So the two projects I did in 2020, they both had like three entirely thought out looks that I like made and I painted. And like, it was very, very, um, like the, the scope of the project was pretty big. And then I kind of scaled that back down. So we mentioned creation of a portraiture before, and I wanted to experiment with sound design. And so, um, but there was no costume. There was no wig. It was just a really, really close up high quality kind of footage of my makeup application. So if you look at, you know, in terms of the labor that goes into it, I don't have to make any costumes. I don't have to make any wigs. I don't have to make any props. I just have to make sure my lighting is really good and my footage is really good. And then I can go in and add the sound design. And then I had a friend of mine make some music for it. So, you know, in terms of my labor on that piece, it just was easy for me to wrap up this piece, but keep it high quality and price it at, you know, one Ethereum and sort of try to regain that momentum. But now um, I had kind of like two or three projects that I coming into 2021 that I knew would be a bit smaller within their creative range. Mm -hmm. And so then with who, what I was like, all right, all of my work now has sold out since then. So um, all of the pieces that weren't selling through November and December and January, they all somehow sold out within like a week, pretty much Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I very lucky. So all of my pieces sold out in February. I had a really great month. And so now I'm in a much more comfortable position where it's like, I want to get back to this like huge projects where, you know, it takes several weeks to put together. There's more than one look. There's, you know, multiple references. Like there's a lot going on. And now I have a, you know, I'm adding that value back into my work and it allows me to then increase the prices for it. So for this piece, I am trying to, bring up my prices um my work the the three projects that i did at the beginning of 2021 sold for one 1.5 and two ethereum so it kind of worked out how i had planned Mm
0: -hmm. and so
1: my last project sold for two ethereum and then my highest price on super rare was 2.5 so now i'm trying to like break past that with this project and um because not only am i more like financially stable but I know that the work I put into this project, like, I was going into it trying to increase the value of my work, trying to increase the prices. And um, I think it's just something that you have to be aware of when you're starting a project, to be honest. Like, mm. I always say, I said before, like, I don't have any loose ends. And how I price a project is definitely something I consider before I start a project. Mm. Like, when I'm thinking of something, it kind of, that's that's a part of the puzzle that I have to put together.
0: I mean... I'll say, it, good for you for being a practical artist who, who can think ahead like that. I think uh, as an NFT fan and consumer, I think pricing is a, a sticking point for me sometimes. Um, you know, And I think I just heard Sasha Bailey actually say this, that one of the worst things artists can do, or he says the worst thing they can do, is to sell a whole bunch of art and then just never sell anything again. And it, or to never make anything again, I think is what he said. And he, he explained it really well. But I do think it's important artists have self-awareness. And one of the issues in the the wild west of NFTs is I think people, they don't want to sell anything. They, they want their highest price to be their floor, especially if it's the most recent price. And that's not necessarily paying attention to the market and perhaps to be more uh, clear about it, what's necessarily fair to NFT consumers. Because we're all sort of participating in a speculative ecosystem where on the one hand, we have to respect the artist's time. And on the other hand, I think artists, you know, obviously have to recognize that you know, there there are limitations to what most NFT fans can afford. Um, and you seem to have a really sober grip on uh on this whole dynamic. So good for you. I would love to know, making mag and the T-shirt with images on it. So and anyone who's not aware of this, and you did talk about this in your excellent Mocha interview, M- Museum of Crypto Art. You talked about how uh, you've done these T-shirts that uses After Effects plugin called Lockdown that just allows basically images to appear on the shirt. Um, and then you've done the first 3D magazine, it was an NFT magazine called Making Mag. And what the reason I bring them up together is because both of them are inherently impractical in that they're so visionary that technology hasn't caught up yet to their consumption. And I was wondering if you wanted to comment on that or something else in in, in, the, in the way that you have been a visionary with them, but in a way that hasn't made them yet grasp graspable uh, in practical terms, what would you say?
1: That's definitely, uh, so actually both of those projects I had done before entering the NFT world just for fun. And so when I discovered the NFT world, I think because of my previous just like random experiments, I recognized like, oh yeah, my magazine was just a fun project that I set up a domain for and like, you know, had a friend put, you know, some content into a magazine because I wanted to design something like there's now a market where I don't need to make this. A real publication. I can just, you know, put out a couple editions of this as an NFT, or same with these T-shirts. Like, I remember I put them on like the, uh, like some sort of fashion subreddit or something, and they're like, "Yo, how are you selling this?" And I'm like, "I'm not selling it. I don't have to sell a T-shirt. Like, I'm not. That's not my goal. Like, it's more just like a personal experiment or, you know, a, a piece of art in a way. And so, finding NFTs where there doesn't necessarily have to be like an innate like place within a capitalist market where it's like, Oh, I'm selling prints of this, or I'm, I'm turning this into a product. Like the product is the NFT. The product is the experiment and mm. people in this space definitely value that and uh, just appreciate people putting out quality work, whether or not it's like necessarily practical. And especially as somebody who frames myself as an artist, it's easier to say like this magazine, is more of like a collectible art piece of mine than it is mm-hmm. a magazine as a like product.
0: I mean, I think they're both excellent. I'd encourage people to check them out. I mean, I yeah, you said that better than I could have explained it myself. Um, if I can, I'm, I'm obviously mindful of your time, but could I ask you about something on your, your personal uh, IG? You have a picture of your back in which you're wearing a, a half plaid uh, skirt or kilt, kind of. You tell me, I don't know. Um, what that would be. And then some necklaces, but they're also on backwards. Um, So this whole thing's from behind. And then the picture you put beside it when you scroll uh, is a meme that says, trust no one, not even yourself. And it's a guy who's edited himself into a photo of himself already with the second self holding a gun to him. And obviously this is like a meme people could be familiar with. The reason I bring this up is because I think a huge part of the NFT story that is so important is um, I believe memes are art in the sense that I think art just calls on ideas that we recognize when it's working as a medium anyway, that we recognize and it makes reference to it repeatedly and it allows us to kind of see a um, a, con- a contextual meaning in, in, in imagery often. And memes do that for the internet. And I think NFTs understand intuitively that memes and the internet uh, need its own recognition as an art form. That's a lot of words. But I just thought it was cool that you'd made it seemingly, I think, a piece of art out of a meme, but maybe I'm missing something. Could you maybe comment on that?
1: So it's kind of the other way around. Like I was, I had to do this photo shoot that, that picture is a part of a collaboration I did with the guild, which is like a layer of mine. Um, It's, it's a big project. We all basically took a character of the night watch by Rembrandt and we all redrew it. So there's like 35 of us and we each did three layers that are available on async, which is just a platform that allows for like programmable, different like layered art and so um, that was one of the images that I took for my one of my layers that I did like a collage of stuff and I just thought it was a cool standalone image even though in the end I was going to like chop it up and collage it and I wanted to post it as a full image somewhere and I actually had gotten the idea I can't remember where I saw it first or when I did it first but I do remember like Beyonce did it on a magazine cover once she wore like a really deep cut backless red dress Mm -hmm. and then it was shot from behind and she had necklaces going down her back like backwards Mm -hmm. so kind of the same idea and I was just like aware of that concept I I know I did it before Beyonce because I was mad that she did it too (laughs) but I can't remember what I did or if maybe I had seen it somewhere or maybe i like just had the thought but I've seen it done a couple times and so I was just aware of that concept so I had that photo and I posted it and I don't know i like the idea of like artists being real people and like even though it's my personal instagram and it's really only like my friends that follow me there mm-hmm. um i always love when you can post something like really kind of chic really um you know curated and then also like joke about it so i just thought i thought of the meme because it's like in in sort of a reference back to the the photo that i took um but also those are th- what I was wearing was actually just like a pair of high waisted pants that I'd made oh, myself. Wow. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think also like with the, the wig that I wore in uh face shop, it's just like a, like very bone straight blonde wig. And I, I posted some pictures of me wearing the wig without any makeup on my Instagram. And like, if you sw- on the same instagram if you swipe left you can see like a picture of lucius malfoy yes yeah. it's, it's like <laughs> i think it's really funny to like what i do is kind of absurd it's ridiculous and it's funny to laugh at and like i think it's really obnoxious when people take themselves super seriously
0: yes especially yep. as
1: an artist like why
0: yeah totally before we wrap up i would love to know um you, you mentioned the guild um we've given a shout out to the magazine what else are you involved with that people should be aware of
1: I'm mostly just on my own, own bullshit. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I really just focus on my own projects. And um, a lot of my work is really difficult to incorporate into collaborations. So maybe like a few times, I'll reach out to an artist and be like, yo, we could do this, or we could do that. And I find that a lot of other artists that I reach out to have a hard time conceptualizing their work into what I do. Mm. So I've kind of just given up on that <laughs> like i'll be like hey we could do this or this or this and they're like yeah maybe sounds cool and i'm like they don't they don't get it they don't mm-hmm. understand um which is totally fine like it can be very difficult to understand so um yeah be- because of my experience with that i mostly just try to focus on my own work and see what i can do within my own skills also because i i mean maybe i'm foolish in saying this but i don't think there's that much that I want to do that I can't really mm. like I have, I feel like enough capabilities, at least at a basic level to be able to accomplish most of my creative vision. So, um, that's definitely useful as well.
0: Well, here's a question I always ask people that I would love to hear your answer to. And it's really simple. It's what's something you believe and, and you can answer any anywhere you want. It doesn't have to be anything to do with art. It could be all about NFTs. Um
1: I don't know, I believe in myself. I'll say that.
0: That's what uh that's what Vandal, the uh the founder of Dow Records, said when I when I asked him. I think it's a good answer, especially for creatives. And um what's something you don't like?
1: Um there's a lot of things, but I mean I can just ignore them. So I wouldn't say there's anything worth mentioning
0: (laughs) that's a great answer as well and then the last question um i know we talked about what projects you're involved in but who else or what else in the space are you excited about or should we all maybe check out or or give a look to
1: um oh i really i don't know i mean there's so much going on it's really hard to keep track of like really something uh the two Things that definitely, to me, were like the most impressive within the last few weeks was Fawocious's drop with Artifact because not only was their drop pretty cool, but to me, like all of the promo they did with like the AR Snapchat filters and the, you know, NFT invites, like that was really cool. I think that definitely stepped up the game for a lot of people, including myself. Mm -hmm. And then similarly, that kind of happened at the same time. Corey Van Loo released this crazy series of paintings that, and he did, like, um, he released them on Super Rare, and equally he did, like, really incredible promotional work, and those both inspired me to then try to be a lot more proactive about my promotional work myself, and, like, I try to put a lot of effort and thought into what I put into my work, but I think I can also channel that same energy of, like, putting a lot of thought and effort into the little details of like how I want to promote something. So one of my collectors actually recommended doing that raffle for the like fake septum piece in mm-hmm. um, my, my latest work, Who What. So now um, I've tried to make it known, I don't know if it's super visible, but anybody who places a bid on my piece is entered within a raffle to win the like physical, ju- physical jewelry on my face. Mm -hmm. so um just those things like that like being very intentional with it being aware of like what makes you marketable and trying to like push that so I've been uh with with who what that's definitely something that I tried to do I spoke a lot with Corey and he helped me with my uh promo work for sure and I, I started pushing out um little teasers for that like maybe like six or seven days before the final drop But it can be hard. Like, that's definitely the hardest part about being an artist, for sure.
0: Well, you seem to have a good handle on it. And, uh, you know, I think I I think you have, if we had more time, I would have asked you some of the things that you you see that you're not as, because you said on your Twitter, you know, I think people don't always try as much as as they might. And and when I look at your work, I I see someone who is trying to think through the angles. and, and, And and not do things in a half ass way. And it's not to say that I look at other people's work and do think it's half ass but I do always notice your work is, is a cut above. And I would say you're young uh, in, in real world terms and young in the space. Um, and yet I think you, you stand out head and shoulders and I, and I think other people really see that. So look, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I certainly look forward to many people over the years coming back to this conversation uh, to get a snapshot of the artist so thank you so much, uh, Sam Jay, and we're really happy for all the success you're going to have.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. You had some great questions.
0: Thank you.